My name is Vicki James, and this is Murder Sandwich, a true crime and mystery podcast. If you are new here, then welcome. This podcast is where we talk about true crime stories and mysteries that tickle our fancy, and we just happen to also like sandwiches. Today, I am joined by Theo. She was also in my Ed Kemper episode seven, and today we're going to be switching it up and talking about Kendrick Johnson. So I'm not sure if anyone's heard about that case, but we're about to dive right in. I do want to briefly mention thank you for your patience on my (laughs) little absence that I had here. I went on vacation and came back and then got the Rona. So the Rona, Rona. which made me have a zero voice. So I would have like podcasted my life away while I was sick, but I couldn't (laughs) talk. The whole sickness, (laughs) yeah, just hey. I am going to put a quick graphic content warning here because we are going to get into some, like when we talk about Kendrick Johnson's injuries, it does get a little graphic. So I just want to say, yeah, just stay stay tuned and be aware that we're going to get into it a little bit. And if you'd like to follow the podcast and get updates on anything, then we do have an Instagram, which is at Murder Sandwich Podcast. But with that, let's get a grilled cheese and tomato and mow down on some true crime. So Kendrick Johnson was born on October 10th, 1995, and he was a 17-year-old student at Lowndes High School in Valdosta, Georgia. Now, Lowndes is spelled like L-O-W-N-D-E-S, so I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Lowndes? Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying. (laughs) His classmates described him as a sweet, introverted boy, and he had really big dreams of becoming a professional football player. He was actually, like, really good at football, so he really enjoyed it, was, like, very popular on his football team. So, Lowndes High School has two gyms. There's an old one and newer one. And at this specific high school, you have to pay for your lockers. So, the kids would use the old gym to hide their stuff while they were in gym class. They wouldn't have to pay for this locker. And lots of people did that. And there's, like, bleachers. They'd hide them under the bleachers in the corners and, like, whatever. That's bizarre. When I went to school, like, I don't think you had to pay for a locker. Yeah, you didn't get a locker at, like at the gym. At, at my school unless you paid your school fees. And so, like, I, my friend did share her locker with me for, like, the all three years because her dad was always, like, really behind on paying the school fees so she wouldn't get a locker in time. Oh. But it was, only, it was like, 25 bucks or something. Oh, I think we just had to buy the lock from the school so they knew, like, the, the code. Yeah. And when we went to gym class – you would just have, like, you would just bring a padlock and you would lock up your stuff. Yeah. See, in in my school, you could either do gym or dance. So I did dance so that I could not do gym. And then you didn't have to do gym in grade 11 and 12. So I didn't have this whole, like, problem for two-thirds. Man, I fucking hated gym. I hated it. I hated it. The beep test was, like, gives me PTSD. Yeah, the beep test was brutal. We had something, like, the block run. Oh, my God, it was the worst. That was in middle school. I was, I just hate gym, so. (laughs) So in the old gym, there's also those like six feet tall, large wrestling mats, and they would use them for gymnastics and wrestling and all this 
stuff. And I, they're the really, really thick ones that it, we all have seen before. So they're all rolled up and just kept off to the side, uh, right beside the bleachers. And they would also use these wrestling mats to put their stuff inside as well, because it's more like hidden and not exposed, because obviously lots of theft was going on if people didn't have lockers. <laughs> I'm just assuming. So on January 10th, 2013, Kendrick did not return home from school. And so his parents spent the night asking like his friends and his family where he could have been. And they also learned that he wasn't in his fourth period class at the end of the day. So they ended up reporting him missing around midnight. The next morning, so this is January 11th, 2013, at 10.30 a.m., roughly 10 hours after he's been reported missing, a couple of students went into the old gym and they noticed socks were sticking out of one of the rolled up mats. So they walked up and they noticed it was actually Kendrick's body and they tried pulling it out, but it just didn't work. Do you know why they couldn't pull it out? Why? Because it was rolled so tightly yeah. that it was only 14 inches in diameter and, and his, his shoulders, shoulders were 19, 19 inches. This is why I think like, yeah. yeah. So the kids went and grabbed a teacher for help and they knocked the mat over and they partially pulled Kendrick out head first. But the smell of decomposition and the presence of blood was very apparent at this point. And so the student went and called 911 and the teacher advised all of the students to go into the new gym and then the school went into a full lockdown. Mm. So Kendrick's parents were notified and later it was found that his body was in the inverted position for just over 21 hours. As he was upside down, the blood all rushed to his head and as a result was bleeding out. We know now that Kendrick Johnson was last seen on surveillance footage at 1.20 p.m. on January 10th, and this showed him walking into the gym behind other students before walking out of frame. And as Kendrick was in the gym, there was basketball and color guard teams that held their practices, but no one heard or saw him. Now, what's interesting to note here, if in case anyone goes and looks at the surveillance footage, it's like motion censored. So it's like kind of jumpy. It's mm -hmm. not like one full stream. Like, so suddenly he, you're like 10 feet away from where you are if you're walking. Mm -hmm. So that's what it's like. It's kind of like weird to see. So a pair of Nike shoes were found in the mat with Kendrick and one black and white Adidas shoe was found near Kendrick with what could have been drops of blood on the side of the shoe. It was located just a little bit away from the mat. They never took the shoe or tested the blood on that shoe ever. So we do not know about that. Kendrick's mother, Jacqueline, stated that she was on school property when her son was found, and the police would not let her see Kendrick at all. Mm. Officers investigating the case quickly ruled it an accident, and that he was just simply reaching for his shoes in the mat, and that when he was unrolled, he had one arm stretched out above his head and the other down at his waist, and he was positioned as though he was struggling to reach for his shoe. But the mat is six feet and Kendrick is five foot ten. And as you stated, it's 14 inches in diameter. Pretty tight. Totally. Yeah. And his shoulder are 19 inches. So he would have had to go in with like one shoulder at a time if he was reaching it. And then. And I don't know that you could really, like, I think that would be really difficult to do. Like, the thing is, it's like the, the mat is not, it's like pliable do you know what I mean like it does move a little bit yeah and I, I can see that it would be pliable but like if it's presumably it's going to be rolled a good couple of times I feel like that would limit how how pliable it would be I feel like that would just be so uncomfortable if you were like purposely going into like such a cramped space totally 
And apparently on this article, it says that the shoe that he was reaching for was found on top of a pool of blood, but it had no blood on it. Yeah. Which is I'm just so about weird. to get into that, actually. Okay, cool. So two pairs of shoes were found in the mat with Kendrick. One pair of shoes he had been wearing, but they were off his feet and on top of his body near his feet and legs. Another pair, the pair he was supposedly retrieving, were on the floor underneath his body near his head. The only new blood found at the scene was inside the mat. No new blood was ever found on the outside of the mat. No new blood was found on his school book, his yellow folders that he was carrying, and no blood was found on his lower extremities or on the shoes that he was wearing. No blood was also found on the second pair of shoes, but the blood had dripped from Kendrick onto the floor, pooling around the shoes underneath him. Mm-hmm. It says that his shoes were like stuffed sort of between his legs and his knees. Yeah. Which again, I don't think this that doesn't weird. make any sense to me. It's weird. Um, and then Kendrick's socks were partially pulled off as well. Mm. So that's what those girls saw when they walked in were just like his feet and his like half taken off socks. Also kind of like maybe someone had like shoved them on almost. Shoved them on or what I was thinking, if you want to go the route that he got stuck, maybe he was trying to get traction with his feet on the mat. And so he like pulled them off to see if he could like, you know, leverage himself. That's what uh, someone said on another podcast that I was listening to. And yeah, if you go the accident route, that makes sense. But if you don't go the accident route, it could be yeah, someone putting them on. Yeah. Or like a like- struggle and them just being half off. Yeah. It's weird. It is weird. On one of the walls close to where the mats are located, there were actually a few streaks of blood found. But this blood was actually never tested initially. They finally did test it later and it was not a match to Kendrick. An autopsy was performed by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. So I'm just going to say GBI because I'm not saying all of that all the time. And they stated that Kendrick died of positional asphyxia. And then the case was officially ruled accidental by the Lowndes County investigators. Now, Jason Pollock, he's the filmmaker behind the Finding Kendrick Johnson. It's a documentary that was released last year. He actually investigated Kendrick's case for six years, and he came out and said that the lungs of someone who asphyxiates are actually heavier because the lungs fill up with fluid, causing Mm. the death. But Pollock said that Kendrick's lungs post-mortem were actually normal weight for his age and size. So it's something to consider. Apparently, this article says, too, that the um, coroner, or Georgia state law dictates that the coroner must be contacted immediately upon the discovery of a body, but coroner Bill Watson claimed that he was not notified until six hours after they found his body. Yeah, they didn't even tell him. He found out, like, that someone told him. Fucked. Yeah. Authorities had hypothesized that Kendrick had fallen into the mat while looking for a shoe that had fallen into the center, and then he died after being unable to remove himself from the mat. Another student at the school said that him and Kendrick actually shared a pair of Nike runners and that after gym class, Kendrick would always go up to the mats, jump up, and toss the shoes inside the middle of the hole. Lieutenant Stride Jones, he was heading the investigation for the Lowndes County Sheriff's Office, and he stated about the accidental prognosis that, and I quote, we never had credible information that indicated this was anything other than an accident. In the documentary, Kendrick's parents claimed that the Lowndes County Police barred them from seeing his body for three days. Yeah, you... I mean, like... It's weird. All cops cops are bastards. That's what I strongly believe in. And, like, I'm not saying it was a murder, but, like, how do you have that much repeated 
obvious, purposeful. Like they didn't miscarries of justice like that. They didn't take any evidence. Procedural protocol, it's like ridiculous. nothing. And and it's not. And it was an accident. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Totally. Kendrick's father, Kenneth, so he was a truck driver, and he was on the road when he vanished and then was found dead. And when he returned, him and Jacqueline held a press conference begging authorities to not take their son's body out of Lowndes County before they saw it. Within the hour, the authorities had already called them and said that they could see his body at the local crime lab. Now, Kenneth and Jacqueline show up, and they're absolutely horrified by their son's disfigured body. His arm was nestled over his head still, suggesting that officials didn't even bother to lay his arm straight after they put him there. Kenneth also said that there were lacerations and bruising to his son's face that made it look that Kendrick was like in a straight up fight. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say he was found upside down. Like that does cause injuries, but that's just something to consider. I'm going to let everyone know right now you can see photos of what he looked like because his parents took photos and put it on lots of media posters and really went out into the public with this case. And so you it's that picture is very common. And if you do look it up, it's pretty brutal. It's graphic, like uh, graphic. It's intense. Yeah. So it almost looks like a body that's been uh, like underwater. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So the family were given photos of the scene and of Kendrick's body. Horrified by what the photos depicted, they decided to post them on social media, which I'm curious if they would be allowed to do now because of like, at this point, there wasn't as much like censorship. You know what I mean? Like, but lots of social media sites, maybe not Facebook, but like, they don't allow such graphic content. Yeah, but this picture is brutal. Yeah, that's fucked. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it before, but I just haven't seen it in so long. So later I did find information that they took photos of the body themselves from the funeral home. Kendrick's mother wanted to call attention to what happened to her son, so she actually held an open casket funeral, and she allowed Jet Magazine to publish the photograph of her child's disfigured and bloated corpse, also putting the face on photos and merchandise to get attention from the community, like I said. Kendrick's family questioned the hypothesis from the beginning, obviously, and they were gravely unsatisfied with the investigation and felt that it was completely based on race for the lack of investigation and thought if Kendrick was white, that it would have been handled completely differently because just going to state all the investigating officials were Caucasian. There wasn't one African American on the investigation team at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, it's, I mean, it feels really obvious to me, but, like, obviously I'm not – I can only say it feels that way because I've only read it, but I didn't actually experience any of it, but – I'm sure his parents would agree with you, so. Yeah, like, I, I can't see how it's divorced from it. Yeah. There's no – because it's a, such an integral part of, like, who this person was. Mm-hmm. Um, I just can't – I can't imagine that it wouldn't be. Yeah. It. Yeah. So on June 15th, 2013, Kendrick's family hired an independent autopsy that would be conducted by William R. Anderson with the Forensic Dimensions in Heathrow, Florida. Anderson claimed that he found traces of blunt force trauma to the right neck and soft tissues, suggesting that his death was not accidental. Now, the bruise he found was only two to three centimeters big. There was no broken neck or throat bones or no signs of an internal extinguination. To note, 
This is apparently the first and only time in history that this injury has ever been considered the cause of death. Really? Yes. This private autopsy that they did. Oh. So the autopsy also had other findings. That's super suspicious. Yes. Wait, just wait. Oh, God. <laughs> they found that sometime after Kendrick's body was recovered from the mat and had passed through the funeral home, that it was stuffed with newspapers. Oh, yeah, no, I heard that. Yeah, that's fucked. Yeah. They took his organs out. Yeah. So now, th- this was standard practice for autopsies in the 70s. This is not standard practice nowadays at all. To add on top of that discovery, what is also weird is that Kendrick's cavity was just completely empty. When Dr. Anderson opened his remains, there was no brain, there was no heart, there was no lungs, there was no liver, like everything was gone. When questioned where the organs were, the GBI, who conducted the initial autopsy, said that the organs were placed back into Kendrick's body, closed, and then the body was released to the funeral home. Now, organs are typically placed in a separate plastic bag, which is then put back into the body cavity after autopsy, then that's when it's closed up. Now, it is reported that the funeral home offered to embalm Kendrick's body for free, so there is thoughts that maybe they were just being cheap. But the funeral home is firm that they never received Kendrick's organs and that they must have been destroyed by, and I quote, the natural process because of the position Kendrick was in when he died. They also stated that the prosecutor discarded them before the body was sent back to Valdosta, all according to the funeral homeowner. So no one will own up to the fact that they removed his organs. Yeah, and I think, like, that just screams... It's fucking weird. Super um, suspicious. suspicious and, like, incriminating. Yeah. For sure. Someone's done something wrong. Yeah. Why else would you be doing any of that? Yeah. And and even if you hadn't done anything wrong or you weren't covering up for someone or something, if you were doing any of that, why not take accountability like oh yeah fuck i i was the one who did that sorry didn't know or like whatever yeah. right like i just signed that totally so, yeah now because of this void they did have to fill the body the standard practice is actually with cotton or sawdust now kendrick's family filed a complaint against the funeral home operator after this discovery but the state of georgia determined that though it was not the best practice filling body cavities with newspaper it also is not illegal and the funeral home broke no laws but regardless the funeral home was sued Hmm. Theory suggests that the organs were stolen to sell on the black market, but this doesn't really make a lot of sense because organs are not good after days. Mm. Like, this was days. Regardless, the organs were examined by the GBI and the slides and the samples for the organs are still in storage at this point. So I am going to state here that Dr. Anderson does not claim that Kendrick was beaten. He has never stated that Kendrick's facial injuries are from anything other than from the position of the mat. The only people who do claim this are directly from Kendrick Johnson's family. I don't know if I buy that he was like, if if you're going to go the, because I, I do think it was like blunt force trauma. I think he was murdered or manslaughter or whatever. But I think his the his face would totally be a result of this, the position that he was put, his body was yeah. put in. And does, I don't know that he would have been beaten before he died yeah. or whatever. It could have just been like some type of blunt force trauma. 
Yeah. So, like, I, I definitely don't know how much I agree with that, but. Yeah. And also, if that is accurate and the, like, that Kendrick's family took that photo post autopsy, then that would also mean that that was after the facial skin is removed and then put back on. So that's something to note is like the timing of that. Um, And then just in case anyone's curious, Dr. Anderson is now a private pathologist after being fired from the state of Florida for a myriad of unprofessional and unethical actions on his part. So yeah, and I can I can totally buy that that would be after that happening. And I can see like I can I have total empathy for the parents because I think like this would be like a devastating loss. And I get that you'd want to, or not want, you'd want to, and I'm not saying that they did, but, like, inciting, like, a sense of rage in, in people via a photo this graphic or something like that. I get that. Like, yeah. 100% get that. Um, and you just want the truth, right? Like, even if it was an accident, they were so quick to determine it that way that they just want to make sure to do their due course. Yeah. But they believed Dr. Anderson, So when his conclusion was released, the Kendricks family stated that they believed that he was murdered and this death was not an accident. So on October 31st, 2013, a few months later, U.S. Attorney Michael J. Moore announces that his office is going to be opening a formal review into Kendrick Johnson's death. And so wait, what happened with the coroner? Or the guy who- Dr. Anderson? Yeah, tell me that apart again. He got fired from the state of Florida- and is now a private pathologist because he had he got fired because of a myriad of unprofessional and unethical actions. Oh, so and that was after he did the private autopsy. Yeah. Okay. So there's yeah. there's a pattern of lying something or something, something happening. Yeah, yeah. Something wrong. Okay. So Kendrick's family they now filed a legal action to open a coroner's inquest into his death. So this is the how and the why, and this is looking at different information now. So when the judge in that case delayed this decision, because they now wanted to wait for this U.S. attorney's review, this Michael J. Moore, Mm -hmm. and the family demanded that the governor of Georgia step in and authorize the inquest instead while they awaited the answer, because the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP, and other civil rights activists then held a rally at the Georgia State Capitol in Atlanta, trying to make this governor of Georgia do this inquest and not wait for the district attorney. This is where the t-shirt with Kendrick's face starts to appear is Mm. these rallies. So unfortunately the governor's office released a statement shortly after the rallies stating that they would be awaiting the report of the U S attorney. So unfortunately the rallies didn't solve what they were looking to solve. Now the NAACP legal team, they end up getting involved after the Lowndes County office ended their investigation and they assigned this girl, Leah Touchton to lead their investigation. Lee concluded that it was an accident and this upset the Johnsons because up to this point, they were the ones that were publicly accusing Brian and Brandon Bell and wanted the NAACP to name them as suspects. Mm. So I know we haven't talked about Brian and Brandon Bell. We're about to get into them. Just put a pin in that. That's like a whole theory on the whole. It's not an accident. Mm-hmm. I know we've been very heavy on the accident train up to this point, but it is going to take a, a left turn at some point. Oh, and apparently, and I just looked this up, Georgia is listed as, or the re, the Appalachian region of, from Georgia to New York and Vermont is like one of the highest, one of the top three highest like 
racist places in the States in 2022, according to this website, World Population Review. (laughs) Interesting. Uh, So Lee also discovered that the Johnson family and their attorneys were lying to her and the media about many aspects of the case. Leah also then resigned from the NAACP in disgust at their continued involvement with the Johnson family. And Lee went on to work at the SCLC, which is the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, with Reverend Rose, who was also supporting the Johnson family, and at one point even offered up his home as collateral to get Jacqueline out of jail for civil disobedience at one of the rallies. They concluded as well that this death was an unfortunate accident. So the NAACP, which is the National Association for Advancement of Color People, their legal team comes forward and they assign Leah Touchton to lead their investigation. Mm-hmm. Leah finds out that the Johnson family is lying to them and the media. She quits her job mm-hmm. because they won't stop working with them. So she goes and works at a completely different company. They are also supporting the Johnson family. And then all of them conclude that it was also an accident. And so what were, or I guess we're going to get into this. What were they lying about? Just details of the case. I do have here, like, since we're on the topic of Lee, Kenneth was the one who identified Kendrick's body. And he claimed to media that when he was in the room, that the storage drawer and room were heated. And that this was on purpose to destroy evidence. But Lee touched in, toured the lab, and personally verified that alarms are armed to go off if room and storage temperatures rise above the appropriate temperature. And she also viewed the emergency generators that are tasked to keep the lab cool in emergencies. And so what Kenneth said was not true. Mm. So things like that. Oh, yeah. And I think, like, you could attribute a lot of and I don't know what else was said, but like things like that to just the state of grief that they were probably in, like I would be enraged. So I wouldn't, that kind of making that kind of comment would make sense. And I under, how, is, I, how much is it lying versus like misunderstanding, not misunderstanding, but like maybe like omission or. The thing is that I don't like is that he's like, oh, it was heated because they wanted to destroy evidence. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's making that correlation himself, and that's what's dangerous to go out into the media and say. And I get it. He wants people to rally on his side. Like, I totally 100% Mm -hmm. get that, and I'm not blaming him, but, like, it is unfortunate because they they can verify (laughs) that that's true. Yeah, I guess, like, at least with this particular comment, we can verify, or it is verified that that wasn't true, but... How could like it's how coincidental that evidence gets destroyed when this happens mm-hmm. and like those kind of coincidences and you're just like how do we have so many of those in a row totally so, like I I totally get it in that sense and that's where I think maybe that comment might have been driven from where it's like okay yeah. oh so they did this and they did this and they did that it must be all coincidences right like I can totally get that that being like an anger. And, like, he saw his son, he's all bloated, so maybe in him he's like, oh, the room's heated, right? Yeah, like, you would feel hot, I would imagine. Like, you would, your whole body, like, you'd be disassociated. Like, who knows, your whole, the way that you regulate temperature would be totally out of whack. Yeah. 
So in November of 2013, 290 hours of surveillance tape from 35 different cameras that covered the gym area were released to CNN following a court's request. That's a lot of cameras. Yeah. They provided the tapes to a forensic analyst, and they found the tapes from two cameras are missing an hour and five minutes of footage, while another set was missing two hours and ten minutes of footage. Since the lapses in coverage were found to be the result of camera systems that were not synchronized with each other, timestamps between separate camera systems differed by as much as 20 minutes for the same time period, given the impression of a time gap for portions of footage that actually had no gaps. So all these cameras had different times on them. Yeah, and I find that really, I believe it because like, Who's going to fix all that? Yeah, so many security systems are so fucked up. And in general, it's a ton of work to fix that kind of shit. But at the same time, it's like, what the fuck? Like, you just didn't care? Didn't know you just care? (laughs) Yeah, like, that poor forensic analyst, though, I would have, once you figure that out, I would have been like, you're fucking kidding. (laughs) Because trying to sync that all up would be such a headache. Oh, yeah. But like I said before, another issue with the camera footage is that it's motion activated and it is used as a change in light pixels to turn the recordings on and off. So sometimes it just wouldn't be triggered right away, and so someone will just appear in the middle of the room. Yeah, and as someone who just recently had, like, installed some security cameras for my cats and stuff, I have emotion sensing on it as well, and sometimes it'll do things like that too. And, like, I didn't really understand that that's how it really worked. So it's it's interesting to... Totally. Um, The area where Kendrick's body was discovered, just to note, is completely out of range of all of the security cameras. That's just not over there. So what we learn eventually from the footage is that about 1.30 p.m., Kendrick Johnson enters the old gym. No one follows Kendrick. No one enters the gym after him for another three minutes. Because they had just returned from Christmas break, there was actually new mats that had been added to the gym, and his mat that had the shoes in it was not accessible. He then proceeded to miss his next class, which was his weightlifting class. So his mat was, like, towards the back, of all these mats. Mm. So attorneys hired by Kendrick's family expressed fear that the camera footage was edited as part of a cover-up. However, there was an analysis done by the Valdosta Daily Times, and they explained all the anomalies, and there was a huge cast of doubt in the community of the theory that it was a cover-up. So, But he wasn't alone in there, according to this. because No one followed him. No one followed him, but he was... The, the security said he, he was somebody followed in three minutes after? Yeah. So... In theory, someone, if he had yelled, well, there was someone there, in there. Someone could have heard him. Yes. Right. So interesting to note here as well, the Johnsons and their attorney also state that they were blocked from viewing the videos, but that's not true. The videos couldn't be released publicly because of the FERPA laws, but according to Lee Touchton and Reverend Rose, the family was invited to view the videos at the school board, but they never took them up on their offer. The attorneys from the school board and sheriff's office asked the Johnson's attorney to file a motion with a judge to release the videos, but they never did. After months of no movement on their end, it was the attorneys for the school board and the sheriff's office who finally filed the motion, but the Johnson's attorney took all the credit. Mm. I think, like... Is that not weird? It's interesting. I think, like, I can speculate that the hesitancy or whatever you want to call how they're dealing with, like, the professional institutions from the Johnson's, like... That makes sense to me because a lot of the cis, especially in the States, like, a, well, not also here in Canada, but like the institutions are systematically 
created to disadvantage like people of color. And so I can totally, totally understand that sense of distrust. And But why wouldn't hers hit their attorneys just file the motion? I don't know. But I'm talking like Did they not want to see the video? No, I, I I don't know. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just saying like all of their actions like being kind of like suspicious and it like I get how that would make still make sense to me because if if you look at it like people who are traumatized and you know people of color are traumatized like ge- genetically like generational trauma the idea that like they're just they're never going to get you know treated properly and so I think if if they approached all this with that in mind which would make sense then their actions in that sense get a little bit more they make a little more sense I guess like I do understand what you're saying okay. but because the attorney like it just makes no sense why the attorney wouldn't file this motion specifically yeah i think and that's then definitely weird. also they go into the media and then take credit yeah i think that's strange. like their attorney sounds like a nut job yeah yeah he just sounds like he's not doing anything in the cl- best interest of their client um i definitely think like that's not right and and definitely strange yeah um but i, I was definitely just commenting on the other behavior for sure but, but yeah no, it's weird. That is weird. In the documentary, it does claim that Kendrick's killer has been hiding in plain sight, but has an alibi that has been refuted by federal investigators. Johnson family over the years have implicated the brothers Brian and Brandon Bell in Kendrick's death. All three of them were classmates. The brother's father is named Rick Bell, and he's also an FBI special agent who ultimately resigned after his home was raided and searched for evidence, according to NBC. Creedle, who's a homicide detective that was on the case for eight months, stated that almost every person they interviewed mentioned Rick approaching them at some point about Kendrick's case. The dad. Yeah. Brian told the media that he considered Kendrick one of his friends, but another classmate came forward and said that a year prior, Brian and Kendrick got into an altercation on the school bus heading to a football game and that Brian pulled Kendrick's dreadlocks and held his head down. This classmate said that Kendrick got the best of Brian and that Kendrick is reported as saying that the issue is not over. But according to further reports from Kendrick, he said, you know, Rick Bell, Brian's daddy, he came up to me at school and told me the fight on the bus wasn't a fair fight and I should come over to his house and refight Brian. What? Yes. Who said that? Kendrick said that? Kendrick, said that? Kendrick said that about Brian and Brandon's dad, Rick, that he walked up to him and was like, that wasn't a fair fight. Why don't you come to my house and beat up and do a fair fight with my son? And he's an FBI special oh, agent. Rick said that to yes, him. To Kendrick. Oh, there's so many names. Um, I know. That's fucked. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that's so super weird. So we're talking about Brian and Brandon Bell. Their yes. dad's name is Rick. Yes. And he's an FBI agent. So he was being ant- purposely antagonistic toward towards Kendrick. a 16 year old boy. Yeah. And that's wrong. Like, no and this is a whole point. year prior to his death. Yeah. So people are bringing this up. Like, that's why they got in a fight. And that's why Brian killed him because they were really mad. Mm. but it's just weird but according to rick he denied that he ever went up to kendrick and said anything to him i mean I, which like no shit yeah you're gonna deny it of course now there is a flip side to this after this fight they voluntarily worked on a science project together also brandon bell was on his way to macon georgia with his wrestling team to attend a tournament the johnson's attorney suggested that an entire wrestling team coaches bus driver parents and school administration all falsified an alibi for Brandon Bell and that it was all orchestrated by Rick Bell. 
Now, this theory doesn't work because there's a travel log on the bus trip, and that's a lot of people. Yeah. So that's a lot of people to keep some type of secret. That he was actually there when he wasn't. Yeah. So in the Finding Kendrick Johnson documentary, they present a damning piece of evidence that was never made public. That the surveillance stills actually show the primary person of interest, Brian Bell, standing next to Kendrick before he vanished, which contradicts his claims that he didn't see Kendrick the day that he vanished on campus. Brian has even gone to multiple media sources stating that they were on different sides of the campus and never saw each other that day, a fact that was used against the Johnson family for years, only to result in it not even being true. So both sides essentially of the it was on purpose route they're both not being 100 percent truthful yeah yeah So Jason Pollock, the one who directed that documentary, he was the one who found out this information. Watch that. Yeah. And it was just sitting in the FBI's 2014 analysis report. Later, that case being closed in 2016 due to a lack of evidence. But it was just sitting there. So it's not like it was hiding or anything. It was just chilling that he said that he was across the campus. I did not see him that day. And he's on camera footage talking to Kendrick right before he walked into the gym. Yeah. That just... That's messed up. Yeah. So Kendrick's family, they filed a wrongful death suit against the Lowndes County Board of Education, its superintendent, and the principal of the high school. The suit alleged that Kendrick Johnson was violently assaulted, severely injured, suffered great physical pain and mental anguish, and subjected to insult and loss of life on January 10th, 2013. The lawsuit itself didn't name the person or persons involved in the event or identify race, but it did imply a race-based dimension to the assault. The assault also alleges that the defendants were negligent and violated Kendrick's constitutional right to equal protection based on race and alleged that the defendants ignored reports that Kendrick had been repeatedly attacked and harassed by a white student. It alleged that Kendrick was attacked on a bus trip 14 months prior to his death and that another student had a history of provoking and attacking Kendrick at school and that some instances took place in the presence of coaching staff and employees after his mother complained about the attacks. You see, and I could see this like playing out as like if in 20 years or whatever it comes out that, you know, was Brandon that wasn't that said he was across campus, that, like, maybe Brandon was there. Oh, Brian. Sorry, Brian. Brian. Brian Bri- was Brandon there. was the one that was on the school bus on his way. So Brandon's, right. like, completely removed. Okay. It's basically Brian. The The whole thing is, was this an accident or was it Brian? Right. I think, like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was less of an accident and less of a murder and more of a, like, well, I see you're stuck in there and I'm just not going to help you. Yeah, just get yourself out. I'm yeah, going to walk away. I'm out of here and then just not telling anyone and that kind of thing. And then but then you'd dying. see him leave the gym. Would you? Because if the cameras don't pick up all the movement all the time, then they're maybe not Maybe he skipped it. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe he didn't trigger that motion. Maybe. So this uh, lawsuit also alleges that the school officials failed to properly monitor the activities of students throughout all areas of the campus and to maintain a properly functioning video surveillance system, which, like, duh. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. 
So in August 2014, a $5 million lawsuit against Ebony Magazine was filed after the magazine published a series of articles naming two students as possible suspects in Kendrick's death. The magazine used pseudonyms, but otherwise accurate descriptions of the boys, and mm. even including that their father was an FBI agent. So, like, ooh. Yeah, that's kind of risky. I don't know that you can do that, like, ethically. Yeah, so they were yeah. sued for five mil. Yeah. In the lawsuit, the parents of the accused boys assert that their sons were not involved in the death, are not considered suspects, and have been harassed due to this publication of the article. The boys in question are Brian and Brandon Bell. The article described that they killed Kendrick Johnson because of a fight that they had almost a year earlier, which had escalated. And their father, Rick, was accused of covering up the murder and manipulating the school and investigators in the case. I don't know. I don't know that it, like, in the conspiracy theory view of it, like, I don't know that it, it is as plausible that it was, like, really constructed like that, but I could totally see son going to dad and be like, dad, I fucked up. I, I didn't, I knew he was the, in the, the mat and blah, 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 and I just didn't do anything. And, and then the dad kind of proactively getting a couple of people involved. I could see it something like that. Yeah. I don't know, like, orchestrating in, entire students or It's just a it's lot. Just, it's a lot, yeah. It's a lot. Even if he is, like, FBI, it's but still like, a lot. But, like, still. Yeah. So, in January 2015, Kendrick's family filed a $100 million lawsuit against the Superior Court of DeKalb County against 38 individuals. The respondents include three of Kendrick's classmates, unnamed, local, state, and federal officials, the superintendent of Lowndes County, the Valdosta Lowndes Crime Lab, the police chief of Valdosta, many sheriff deputies, the city of Valdosta, the state medical examiner, the GBI, five of its agents, and one FBI agent. The lawsuit alleges that the FBI agent ordered his two sons and a classmate to attack Kendrick Johnson and that his death was a murder and that the respondents engaged in a conspiracy to cover up the homicide. Jim Elliott, he was the Lowndes County attorney, he stated that the allegations were completely unfounded and baseless and that any other response would be in court. All local superior court judges recused themselves from presiding over the case, preventing the lawsuit from being filed and heard in Lowndes County, citing their close proximity to the case. Would that smart? Yeah, that is smart. Like, I wouldn't definitely not want to be even 10 foot. I'd be like, nope, no, thanks. Good. Yeah. Because you have to work there and you're working with these people, right? So shortly after the lawsuit was filed, U.S. Attorney Michael J. Moore, I mentioned him earlier, said in a statement that the federal investigation is still open and that the investigation has proven to be more complicated and taken much longer than previously anticipated. And then he then resigned in 2015, a year later. After the resignation, the case was transferred to the Northern District of Ohio under U.S. Attorney Stephen Dettelbach. Shortly after receiving the case... He also resigned. Despite the resignations, the Department of Justice investigation continued. So in November of 2015, the Department of Justice filed a motion in the civil case to intervene and stay the case. So pause it, basically. The U.S. attorney said allowing the evidence discovery in the civil suit to continue would have a chilling effect on the federal investigation, which had expanded into investigating possible obstruction and grand jury witness tampering. So the Department of Justice's motion was denied. They are not allowed to stay the case. So I know it's really confusing at this point for everyone, but just know that there's a fuck ton of lawsuits going around from 
the county to like from the Johnsons to the county, the Johnsons federally, there's a civil case going on as same as the same time as a federal case. There's just a lot of lawsuits and everyone is basically involved in all of them. And it's just this civil case. They asked the civil case to be stayed, but it all got denied basically. So after this, Kendrick's parents then dismissed their own wrongful death lawsuit, since they hoped to refile after the conclusion of the federal investigation. But they were actually sued for $850,000 in attorney fees and $1 million in defamation damages. So finally, on June 20th, 2016, this is two years after Kendrick's death, the Department of Justice announced that they would not be filing any criminal charges related to Kendrick's death, stating, and I quote, after extensive investigation into this tragic event, federal investigations determined that there is insufficient evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that someone or some group of people willfully violated Kendrick Johnson's civil rights or committed any other prosecutable federal crime. So the institutions worked together to stop that case from going forward because of the federal stuff. And then the federal people turned around and said, Oh, we're not going to do it. They just said like, well, they're, we're not going to charge anything. Yeah, it was an I accident. Think that's bullshit. I yeah, think that's bullshit. It's, it's weird. It's completely. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's where I get back on board with it being like a cover up or some type of like institutional systemic thing. Cause it's like how, and like, why is the resignings of those people when they get the case just a coincidence? Or like, what's the deal there? I don't know. That makes Did they just not want to touch it with the 10 foot pole because of all of the problem? Like, look at all these lawsuits. You know what I mean? Like, I think that would be like indicative of, of some details of the case. They probably felt like they couldn't be unbiased. Yeah. And like, as an attorney and investigator, like, that's your biggest struggle is you have to make sure you're unbiased. And so, I don't know, like, all, yeah, that part's, like, really weird. They're like, okay, we can't go forward with the civil case because that's going to ruin our federal investigation. Two years later, they're like, nah, it was an accident. Yeah, see, and that's where I think, like, that's just more damning evidence that perhaps it was, or maybe it wasn't even from the beginning constructed or whatever, uh, conspiracy theory that way, but, like, it became that way. Yeah. Because suddenly, like, so many mistakes were happening along the process, and then they were too far into it to go, oh, fuck, yeah. we're, we're too deep. And even the federal investigation, like, I'm sure they have great investigators, but when it comes down to it, the people on on the pavement, when he was missing, mm-hmm. and when he was found, did not gather enough evidence, and his organs are gone. So you have these tiny little samples sitting in a fridge, and that's what you're investigating on, and, like... How do you find someone not biased? Like this, this, yeah. in that area, like this case was so publicized and there's different opinions everywhere. I just think it was an absolute shit show from the beginning, whether it was an accident or not. It just wasn't properly investigated. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the saddest parts about it for sure, because like it's there's just- too many what ifs. And then, of course, your dad's an FBI agent and you get in an argument. And of course, people are going to point fingers being yeah. like, well, he could cover it up. I'm just letting someone would have cracked by now. It's 2022. It happened almost 10 years ago. Someone had to have cracked. You know what? The lady that fucking accused Emmett Till of whistling at her and got him hanged, like lynched. She on her deathbed, it, when she like 50 years later, admitted that she lied. 50. 
50 years. But that's one person. That's one person. So I'm granted the, the I'm details saying, are not the same, but but I'm saying that we can't rule that out. For sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, but just it, the risk of having so many people involved is crazy. Yeah. But the, the, the probability that someone would have spoken by now seems really high, but like human beings are horrendously terrible at probability. And I, and I don't blame Brian for being like, I didn't even see Kendrick that day because in high school, maybe he talked to Kendrick for like a minute. Maybe he was like, hey, dude, yeah, I'm just heading to math. Oh, yeah, I'm just I'm going to go in here and grab my shoes. Talk to you later. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, maybe he was like, no, I didn't see him. I could see that for sure, too. Because what if he wasn't questioned till like a month later? He'd be like, I don't remember talking to him that day. Because to him, it's not significant. They pass by each other all the time in school and go like, hey, buddy, like whatever. And I and I get that. And I think that does make sense. But I also think that's just that reasoning is just as applicable to the dad. Totally. Said that like it yeah. was hot and so you're just like okay well when was he questioned and blah 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 and like you know yeah, yeah he's misremembering the details but he's not lying yeah and so I, I think it's on both sides for yeah. sure there's a lot of details that are super bizarre <laughs> not verifiable and it might be a case we never ever learn I don't truth. think we will yeah. I don't think we will so on August 10th, 2017, Georgia judge Rich Porter ruled that Kendrick Johnson's family and their attorney had more than $292,000 in legal fees to the dozens of respondents in their civil suit, writing that testimony shows that they had no evidence to support their claims that the brothers killed Kendrick Johnson or that any other defendants engaged in a conspiracy to conceal the cause of manner of Johnson's death. So this that also concluded. Kendrick's family did request his body to be exhumed for a second time, and this was granted permission by the Valdosta city officials, and this happened on June 22nd, 2018, and a third autopsy was carried out. The third autopsy only confirmed the findings of the second autopsy, which was non-accidental blunt force trauma to his right neck. Yeah, see, and that's where I think it makes more sense that maybe it wasn't an intentional murder. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was just like they were either goofing around and he hit him by accident or, you know, they got into some type of small argument because they're kids. Yeah. And, And it was manslaughter. It was an accident. It was an accidental murder. And like those things, you know, unfortunately they do happen. Yeah. And then he was just happened to have some support and ability to like get not get away with it, but you know, I think that that makes the, that idea more a little bit more credible. Yeah. On March tenth, two thousand and twenty one, the case was officially reopened. Oh, really? Yeah. The Lowndes County Sheriff Ashley Polk stated that he would not be claiming that there was something wrong with the original investigation or that the original conclusion of an accidental death was wrong. Ashley also stated he does not consider the case to be a homicide and said that the two brothers named in previous legal actions by the Johnsons are not considered suspects. And but it was reopened. It was reopened. I think they just want to make sure that, like, it... it that Crossing it, their T's and dot yeah. eyes. Yeah. Me and you talked about this before we started, and I said, like, yeah, I think it was an accident. I think it could be both. I think I, it could be both. I think it could be both. I think it's so possible. There's so many weird things about it. The shoe that was underneath his head, like, didn't really have a lot of blood on it, but... It had no blood on it, yeah. Yeah, so people, some people think that, you know, he was murdered, and then someone put the shoe under there after the fact to make it look like he was reaching for a shoe, and that the shoes that were in his, like, knees and legs were thrown there, and, you know, people... Every single mm-hmm. thing that happened to him, you could put that someone deliberately did that, or it's just a very, it's just a mm-hmm. bad accident. 
I don't know. It's how. really sad. Like it he, is really sad. He was super great kid, great good grade football team. He seemed to obviously have a very supportive family that loved him very much, and mm. it's just a really sad case. I hope that this reopening the investigation. I hope that he's able to provide some closure for the family, no matter what way it goes. I just hope that they get closure because it's such a long time to be fighting over something and all these cases and it being brought up. And it's just really sad. So my thoughts and everything go out to the Johnson family because it's just such a publicized case. And, you know, I think, I think they really deserve that. Yeah, they definitely do. Hello, this is actually the next day, and there's been a little bit of more information that we've received. So Theo actually went and watched the Finding Kendrick Johnson documentary after we recorded our episode, and I went home and was going to do the same, but I couldn't find it on any streaming platforms that I watch. I think it's available on Apple TV as per my Google, so... Regardless, Theo gave me some more information and the documentary does focus a lot more on the murder theory and does provide a little bit more information, such as the mat was actually on its side when it was found, as well as there was rumors going around the school that Brian and Brandon Bell were actually the killers and that some people actually knew about it and they did come forward to the police And before I know that I mentioned that their father, Rick Bell's house was raided, and that's because there was actually warrants out to find evidence if they were involved. There is some information on them. So based on the documentary and Theo watching it, she wants to change her stance that it was a murder. And because I didn't see the documentary, I'm not really sure what my stance is. I was always leaning towards the accident side. And it is a little interesting to me that this documentary came out over a year ago, and I didn't find much of that information online at all. So just find that really like weird for some reason. But regardless, just wanted to provide you that quick update, because I am editing this now, and so there's a little bit more information, and I wanted to let you guys know. So please watch the documentary. It, you know, Theo said it's really good and provides a lot of insight into the case. So if you have Apple TV or you're able to download it, then I urge you to do so. So thank you. But, you know, let us know what you think. Because honestly, this is a very debatable case. So depending on what you heard today, you might be totally off base for what we're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So yeah, discuss. And there's tons of stuff on Reddit. If I've been really into Reddit lately, but there's lots of stuff on there. If anyone needs, I love Reddit too. There's a lot of information. So much. And thank you for Theo for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Anytime. <laughs> if you want to stay up to date, as mentioned before, you can follow the Instagram at Murder Sandwich Podcast. And I will talk to you soon. Bye.